This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Is that to me? Yeah, that, that oh, this is for buddy. you. I, well, you always say that to all the followers. I didn't know, or like to your <laughs> audience. I didn't know if that was, that was, that was nice. I, I'm good. I got a Coors for Uncle Shane pouring out. There you go. And then I got a Celsius. Fifth one of the day, huh? Look at me go. Yeah, I'm, I'm opening one up too. A beer or Celsius? There we go. Wait, for some reason my audio's messed up. Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to say anything because I hope you fail all the time, so. Okay, perfect. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so Cousin Shane couldn't make it. He Actually, he's just now getting together with his father for Father's Day, so reached out to our good buddy Chris Marler, Saturday Down South, college football, uncensored, and he's got all the time in the world. So, of course, he said, yes, I'd love to come on this platform. We don't and... have a dad, so we're good. We're good. <laughs> so how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. I just uh, am doing my normal thing. I've been arguing with Georgia fans online after giving him credit and and compliments all day so i got the setup at the new place yeah beautiful columbia south carolina so things are good man new haircut you live in columbia south carolina now? i did i moved back uh back near home so wow home, but you know what i mean um because i have family here and so it's just i don't know like i got atlanta i love atlanta i lived there my whole life but i just kind of needed a change so I, I gotta imagine everyone there's asking you are you south carolina or are you a clemson fan how, how often do you get that i tell them coastal just to be a <laughs> um, no, it's funny because like I, I was like talking to our buddy, um, I call him the bearded tomato, Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show. Yeah. And he like showed me, he sent me a screenshot of like something during his actual live show, and, and like he's like doing his daily crow, whatever, at like 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the comments was like, Hey, word has it that Chris Marler lives in Columbia now. It's like somebody's gonna murder me. It's probably Ollie, it's gotta be. Oh, Ollie. Yeah. As soon so, as I find your address, I'm giving it to him so he can don't, don't. send you some more products. That was, yeah, that's that's exactly what I need. But no, man, I'm, I'm doing well. How are things with you? You just every time I look at you, you're either on Paul Feinbaum saying things that hurt my feelings or getting more followers and stuff. You're killing it. Yeah, I appreciate that, and and hopefully, you know, less than a month away from SEC media days. Hopefully, it's going to be our best media days ever. Yeah, uh, I, I really wanted to ask you about that too, and. You know, so we're not going to have really a structure here. I'm, I'm going to try to make Chris cry as many times as possible here. But uh, what are you most looking forward to to media days coming up now that uh, you know that you're credentialed and you're going to be at the event? Yeah, I mean, I haven't started brainstorming questions yet. I had so much fun last year because I, I will just say from like a personal standpoint, not to be too serious. I know I joke around a lot. Last year was the first time I feel like I've ever gone. And I remember it was the first time people came up to me that were like, hey, I know you. And I was like, oh, yeah, Saturday on South whatever and they were like no no no. are you are you Vern Funquist on Twitter <laughs> I was like yeah and then they're like yeah I hate you so that was nice <laughs> um, but like it was, it was kind of cool it kind of felt like the first time I was like a, like a peer of other people instead of just um just there and I know you and I have had a blast all the time I don't put out as much content as you do on there so I gotta bump that up this year but going into this year I mean like last year we had so many cool moments at, like with Pittman I remember asking him about 
him go like him his record against the spread and him kind of playing <laughs> along with that like i just i love stuff like that like the the relatable side of coaches yep. so that like the guys like that is what i'm really looking forward to i'm interested to see how how hugh freeze handles the media because we haven't really seen him have to deal with anyone outside of auburn yeah. uh, in quite some time i think that'll be interesting but he's done all he's done everything right so far yep well hey funny story about this true story i think i told you this at the time but when we were at media days last year uh, for those that don't know, it's it's kind of a weird setup, but we were we had a booth and they put you next to other people that that have similar shows, radio shows, and all this stuff. But the people next to us, I I don't remember who they were. If they yeah. were, if I did, I would call them out by day. But they were, they were like old as shit. I know they that. were old, like Louisiana radio or, or something like that, and they were mad as hell that you asked Coach Pittman about point spreads and what a joke that is, and right. why the hell they let these people in here. And I'm just thinking, yeah. That's that thing, those man. dinosaurs, they they don't have a spot anymore in in this landscape. I don't feel like. Well, you know, and, and, and it's good if they do. I'll never try to. I, I've learned this from you is that it's always good to like like your peers and stuff like that. And not everything has to be like a Brandon Walker type thing where you're just trying to make enemies. It took me a lot to honestly realize that when I first came <laughs> into business, I was I was like very combative, like not just with fans, but like with people, like coworkers. In- What's yeah, coworkers like you? <laughs> I was so sorry again, um, but I was I, I viewed everything as a competition because that was kind of my background was like you know from playing like sports through college like I, I just everything was competitive and and it felt like it, everything you're you're trying to like compete for this landscape this like little corner of what you're trying to to, to carve out and you really don't have to do that now um, and but it did crack me up because when you I remember you telling me about it when it happened and I was like that question in the in the Brian. Um, how am I drawing a blank? Brian Kelly about like the, the what's in his best Southern accent say this, but the thing about Pittman, <laughs> like if you can't see that gambling and sports betting is not just having a place in, in all of sports and college football, but like kind of taking over in a lot of ways, like what are you doing? Yeah. Anyway. Well, speaking of trying to make you cry, here's, here's attempt number one, throwing it up here on the screen. <laughs> that pissed me off. For, <laughs> For anybody just listening, there, someone made a graphic. Yeah. Chris oh, Marler's 2022-2023 stats, zero. Yeah. Bitches, zero. Good takes, zero. <laughs> how, ba- how bad did that hurt your feelings? So it wasn't like it, – it pissed me off a little bit when it happened because it was a buddy of mine that did it. Um, and because I was sure. making a comment, it was, it was from – so if you look at the actual, the actual post, it says TD Alabama Mag, which is like a – you know a <laughs> This online Bama thing. Yep. He had made this post. It was like about a backup tight end that I don't even know. And it was like <laughs> catches zero reception or like reception yards zero touchdowns zero. I was like, this is the most useless graphic I've ever seen. About and somebody took time to make it. Um, zero bitches, Joshua. I had two. Thank you. I mean, one and a half. But we're not going to get into that because that was the whole thing in Vegas, and I'm not allowed back. So it's just, it's a whole thing. No, but it was just the guy who did it. I was like, what? what is this even like why and of course as some of you know i lost my twitter account that i had built up to like it's not like mike's that has like forty thousand followers but i had was like a shade under ten thousand, and i'd worked very hard for that and then i lost it on april 1st because of a bad april fool's joke and <laughs> i've learned my lesson but i'm trying to like build my shit back up and then this thing comes up and i was like this sucks this sucks the zero thing was just unfair and rude how about this graphic you made? So th- this is a lot of what you do is make these graphics. Yeah. Teams with only one win versus Bama under Nick Saban. Florida, I didn't realize. ULM, of course, and Tennessee. 
Uh, but your caption, what'd you say? Powerhouse programs with only one win. <laughs> so thank you for uh, admitting that Tennessee is a powerhouse program. Man, Tennessee. Well, and like you know, I'm old, so like I, you know, I just turned 31. I'm lying, but like I grew up in like the 90s where you where Tennessee was like a dominant program all the way up and really until like the 2004 maybe. Yep. Um, but like 95 to 2002, people forget Tennessee was one of the like the best teams in the country every single year, and a lot of people forget that because Florida was so dominant, right? Like I mean, but like if you just take a step, like you just zoom out. <laughs> Tennessee was right there every single year. Um, and they're they're on their way back because they are recruiting at a ridiculous level. You kind of knew that was going to happen with NIL. So I knew I had to get a dig in at some point. But yeah, Tennessee, man, I know we joke around a lot, but like it is it is going to be back to being one of the bigger I like I wouldn't be surprised if this is like where if you have to start taking two weeks off now with like the schedule, the way it's gonna be. Right. Um that Bama goes back to taking their week off for Tennessee because it's 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 back to being how it was like when you and I were growing up watching it and it's like a, just a battle every year. So first question for you, Chris prediction, how many points will Tennessee beat Alabama by this season in Tuscaloosa? Man, if they do, I'm going to have to get my account banned again on Twitter. Cause it's going to be <laughs> awful. Um, I, I genuinely think it, that game worries me more than any other game on the schedule. I think that Bama it, mainly because I think that lose the Bama will lose to Texas. I do. I don't think they have the quarterback thing figured out yet. I don't think that, I think Texas is a lot better than people want to give them credit for. Um, what A.D. Mitchell brings to the table, you have two five-star, uh, former five-star offensive linemen that are now going to be in their second year. I think they're better in the trenches than people think. But anyway, the Tennessee thing, it scares the shit out of me as a Bama fan because you don't want to lose to them back-to-back. I mean, I've, I remember losing to them for seven straight years. Yeah. I, I think – I do think Bama wins that game strictly because I think if there's one you circle if you're Alabama, it's that one. I don't think it's LSU. I think it's that one. And, and the way they lost in the fashion they lost – and I tell you what, they bring up the LSU thing a lot. And I know that you went on Fine Bob and said you think they're going to win the national title and all that kind of stuff. And we can disagree on that. But there's not a game that has been brought up to Alabama and Nick Saban and to Bama fans more than that game. And I think it'll matter. And it's also a built-in rivalry like where it has a lot of historical significance to it, too. So you disagree with me. You you don't think LSU can win at all? That gives me more confidence that they actually will. Oh, don't even start because I was, I was on fire like – how many times did you bring me on this show to to shit talk, and then what I said was exactly <laughs> true? Ever said hello? Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember specifically. I didn't choose the language you chose. Not that I got a problem with language, but you said Kentucky kind of sucks, and by, shitty. by God, they. Yeah, I mean that that was pretty accurate. So, what's your what's your hottest take right now? If uh, LSU winning at all is a little too hot for you. I, I do think that Texas is – I know that we say this every year. I, I do think that Texas is going to contend for the playoff and, like, actually contend for the playoff. I think that they are going to – I'm just – you know how I am about Steve Sarkeesian. I'm a big believer in him. The numbers as a head coach really kind of point against that, but I think this is the most talent he's had to work with yeah. outside of that 2019-2020 Bama team and then some of those USC teams before he was the head coach. I think it's the most talent he's had to work with. And I don't think the Big 12 is necessarily going to be a gauntlet this year. Um, I think a lot of other teams – I mean, look what they did to Oklahoma last year. Everyone's talking about how Oklahoma and Texas coming – I mean, if you got the draw of getting Oklahoma, like Bama and Tennessee did, for that 2024 schedule, you kind of feel like you won a little bit because that's that's a better draw than Texas. I I think that's probably my hottest take. I think Texas is going to – is, is going to contend and possibly make the college ball playoff. And I also think that you're going to have a Pac-12 team 
this year finally make the playoff against it's the first time since 2016. I, I don't see a way the SEC gets two teams in because I think Georgia is is going to be dominant, and and you're going to have to have both teams go 12 and 0 or have it an 11 and one beats 12 and 0 Georgia like right. last year. I think you're going to have a way more parity around the country than we we're used to. But what happens if Texas gets destroyed by Bama mm-hmm. in Tuscaloosa and they win the Big 12? I mean, are are we still going to respect them coming into the? I, I will have no respect for them. I don't care what they do in the Big Twelve. I'm kind yeah. of basing it on on how they play against Alabama. That's fair. I think I think that that's a it's a second week of the season, so I can see how the narratives can change throughout the year. Um, because here's here's what I think. I think that people are kind of sleeping on Ohio State because the quarterback situation. Um, that team is loaded, and they're loaded on defense, which is something that we don't ever talk about with that team. Um, the Pac-12. If you look at the quarterback situation, which is everything now seems to be a quarterback driven from from football in general, it's top to bottom. There's there's great quarterbacks in that league. Bo Nix is a great quarterback now. Like it's, it's <laughs> I don't know what happened in the last couple of years, but it's been it, it, things have changed. I I think that if Texas goes eleven and one, and they win the the Big Twelve, they would have to beat like a twelve and zero. Big 12 team. Otherwise, no, I don't, I don't think they would get the same respect, especially if they lost big to Alabama early in the season. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, how concerned are you with Alabama's quarterback situation? Because I don't know if you've watched the the Tyler Buckner, I think is his name, from Notre Dame. Oh, my God. I went back and watched him, and if that's – How was that emotionally? Bama's quarterback. I mean, it was great for me because yeah. Al- Alabama's going 8-4 and four if he's your starting quarterback. I don't have any more Clausens we can get. Like, this is <laughs> – um, no, I, I would be shocked if Tyler Buckner is the starting quarterback. I know you want to put the pieces together and figure out why they went and got him. I don't, I mean, he's a former, he's a former top 100 guy. He's, he was a big recruit. He's, he has only played for two years. He's very injury riddled. He's had some big moments, but you look at like what he looked like in big moments, right? Like not just a lot of interceptions, but a lot of pick sixes and a lot of times in costly like moments of the game. Started out eight for eight against Ohio State. This dog's gonna start barking again. A lot of dink and dunks, though. A lot of dink and dunks. Like, and I think that's what you're gonna see from the offense. More, I think you're gonna start getting like some of these these tight ends involved way more. Um, I know they lost Cameron too. They got a couple of good guys. They got a kid from uh, Maryland that's coming in. Um, CJ, I can't remember his last name because it's been a fun off season for me. Um, I, I think you're going to see more, more of the tight ends involved. I do think you're going to get back to the run game a little bit, like way more. Cause that's what, that's what Tommy Reese does. I know you're not a fan of him, but I, I, I think that there's a plan in place. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the K dynasty over there. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Tommy Reese's offenses in two to three years, he was the OC at Notre Dame. You ran the ball 60% of the time. Bill O'Brien threw the ball 51% of the time in 2021 and, and it's on play calls. And in 2022, it was 50.2%. It's the lowest they've ever had in both years from under a Saban coach team. Lowest ever. I know you got Bryce Young, you got athletes everywhere, whatever. That's not – like, I think that Saban, that that ship has kind of sailed when you look at – you don't have an elite quarterback on that field like or on that roster. You don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jalen Milrose – Jalen Milrose is the best athlete every time he steps on the field on either side of the football. That doesn't mean he can, he can play a full 60 minutes without turning the football over or complete 60% of the passes. It does yeah. not mean he's an elite quarterback. They don't have one on, on that roster. Um, I would be shocked if Tyler Buckner is the starter because the amount, like I said, the amount of not only interceptions but costly, costly bad interceptions, 
you know, it, it's just not – I maybe he progresses a ton because he's only started like eight games. But it's hard for me to believe that he's going to be the starter. What game do you think will be toughest for Georgia this year? I know everybody's got that at Tennessee circled, but I think yep. the week before, Ole Miss at home could be tricky, a little bit of a trap game. I think Ole Miss is – you know, they're – they're very hard to read, but they could be very good. And yeah. I think Kentucky, even though it's in Athens, they play Georgia really well. I, I almost feel like those would be tougher games for Georgia because I think Georgia would just be so psyched up to beat the hell out of Tennessee again. Yeah, I think the toughest game they've probably already played because it was a spring game. Um, playing against themselves, <laughs> but I mean, no, I mean, like all jokes aside, going to Knoxville is clearly the the most difficult one. We, I don't know what that Tennessee team looks like at that point. Um, you know, just I'm not saying this is like in a, in a bad way, but like long season, like if like I think you're in a better situation this year than you were last year with the quarterback situation, which is crazy to say because like I'm saying like for the full length of the season because hook like when Hinden went out, what happened in South Carolina like was was tough and and you didn't have a guy that necessarily had like the reps for the whole season. That Nico kid is phenomenal. I honestly thought he was going to push for playing time and, and the starting job. Milton has been awesome to watch since he since he kind of took over in that that Orange Bowl, mm-hmm. um, but you know we saw what that Josh Heupel offense looked like last year against Georgia, and that's what that's what would concern me. I still think it's the toughest game. I do because you get Ole Miss at, at home and you get yeah. Kentucky at home. Um, going to Knoxville is never easy emotionally or physically. But I mean, <laughs> it is it is. I, sorry, my dog is just losing her mind. Um, what, what's more likely to push Nick Saban out the door, NIL or the combination of Brian Kelly, Hugh Freeze, <laughs> Josh Heupel, and Kirby Smart just just taking his legs out from under him? So I don't I don't think that the whole NIL thing is so so dumb and overblown. I don't think he's sorry guys. Um, I don't think he's like if you think Nick Saban is having Pepper, if you think Nick Saban's having a hard time paying football players, you haven't been paying attention to football. Uh, in Alabama in the last well, it's not so much paying, but it's having to deal with that. And you know, he yeah. bit he bitches every offseason. Oh my god, we finished second in recruiting. This has got to stop. We got to we right. got to fix all this. I mean, well, so here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, and I, I I understand it's Nick Saban. Everyone hates Nick Saban outside of Tuscaloosa, and I and I'm sure that even me saying this is going to be a very logical statement, which is going to shock you. But people are going to hate it either either way. Thank you, Craig Godwin. I'm going to screenshot that. Um, uh, no, so, but but the thing with, with the NIL stuff and, and with Saban, no matter what he says, it's always going to be taken in a way that's like he's complaining, it's this and that. Now, what he said this past week, we'll get into it, was awful. And it was dumb as shit, to be honest. If we're being a thousand percent honest, don't, do not clip that at all. But like what he said about NIL, saying that like, he hasn't said it's unfair. If you think that Bama's struggling with NIL or Saban is, they just signed the number one recruiting class in the country. They just had one of the top recruiting classes in the history of recruiting classes. They've signed three of the top 10, like highest rated classes of, of all time in the last three years. Now I'm sure he's getting annoyed with it, but it's a very, like, here's the thing people like forget is it's new. It was when, as soon as it was put in place, the NCAA just like washed their hands of everything and just stepped away. There's no regulation of it. It's completely completely unregulated across the board from state to state. It's different. Remember when it first started, there was mm-hmm. only like five states that even, that even like allowed it to, to be in place. Like it, it goes, it, the, it varies so much from school to school, not because of deep pockets and owners, but because of the way boosters are and the, and how competitive this, like, you know, like you're just, it, it's, it's a constant arms race in the sec, especially of 
trying to find as many recruits and, and like facilities and all that kind of stuff. Got to keep up with the Joneses and be better than the Joneses in every single possible way. It is from state to state different in every conference across the country. And, and that's where you're having an issue with because it's like, and, and outside of all that, it's also like in its infancy. So there are a lot of issues with it because we, we're not used to being able to like talk about like, all right, we're going to pay these players. All right, well, are we going to tax them? Well, I don't know. We're just, we're going to pay them. It's like anything he says is going to be taken negatively, which is fine. I do think that what he's saying is what a lot of people are saying. Like it's what a lot of other coaches are saying. And sometimes right after he says it, but it doesn't have the same kind of weight because it's Nick Saban and people don't like him. Mm. Well, I just know they're paying a lot to finish second in the West. So congratulations <laughs> for that, Chris. Uh, that was good. <laughs> uh, let, let me ask you this. A lot of South Carolina fans, listen, you see in the comments here, what, what's your thoughts on Shane Beamer and company? Can they overachieve yet? Everybody looks at the schedule. That's all they do when they see the Gamecocks. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to play this. You got to play Georgia, Clemson, Tennessee. Oh, my God, how are we going to do it? Well, they've overachieved both years. Can they do it again with Spencer Rattler, Juice Wells and company? And, yep. and it has to be an upgrade at offensive coordinator based on just departing uh, Marcus Satterfield. So uh, this just hit me as, as soon as you brought it up. And you said the word overachieved. What if this is just South Carolina achieving at this point? Maybe this is just who South Carolina is under Shane Beamer. Because I there's there's not a team that I have been more incorrect about in the last two years than South Carolina. And I, I say this on our show all the time with, with South Carolina fans. Like, I almost just want – just tell me what you want me to say. Because every time I see a game, I'm like, oh, there's no way they can go beat Clemson. There's no way they're going to beat Tennessee. And then they, you know – put up 60 and then they go on the road in death Valley and beat them in year 200 Beamer. And like all those things. And I, each week, like they, they will line up the next week and I'm like, yeah, they're going to lose. Like I, I will not, I just, it's like my dating life. I refuse to learn a lesson. I just refuse <laughs> to learn a lesson. So I think that like the way you look at South Carolina, I think at some point you have to start giving Beamer credit. Cause that's a tough schedule every year, but he has done an incredible job at how quickly he's turned that around um, I kind of feel like I don't believe they're on the level of Georgia at all. I don't, but there's a real opportunity the way from a culture standpoint, I know what Dabo's done in the, in the, in recruiting this off season. He's got a couple big five-star guys, receiver and, and linebacker this off season, but you have a real good chance to turn the tide in that entire state. If you're South Carolina and kind of how it was in the early 2010s, like where they won five in a row, mm -hmm. uh, because from a culture standpoint, how do you not want to play for Shane Beamer? Especially I'd, with Dabo. I'd much, yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. I'd much rather play for Shane Beamer than old Dabo over there in his Jesus NIL or whatever the hell he said. Uh, yeah, what an idiot. All right, so l let me ask you about Kentucky. I've, I've been high on Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I think they're the, the team that's being overlooked the most just because they disappointed last year. Right. And I was down on them then. I'm high on them now. Could you see another uh, big season from Lexington? I, I, hell, I think they could win 10 games this year if, if everything clicks. Yeah, so – and this is what I said last year and people got so mad about is that the issues with Kentucky last year was Chris Rodriguez, Chris Rodriguez always had issues with fumbles, right? Will Levis has all the talent in the world from a physical standpoint, but he was so bad at protecting the football, so bad. The show that you had me on was before the Ole Miss game, and I kept saying how – the issue with this team is that they lost three offensive linemen to the NFL, which I'm sure is possibly the first time that's ever happened in, in Kentucky football history. Like 
what Mark Stoops has done there has been incredible, but you're going to have some turnover and you lose the OC, which I think I even lost sight of a little bit of how much of a drastic difference that was going to be. Mm-hmm. But they were, they went from being a power football team, being able to run the football. You also lose like the best receiver you've had in program history since like Craig yeast, in my opinion, all that happens last year. Now you look at what, what their biggest failures were is they were bad up front. It's another thing South Carolina is going to have to be better at too, is on the offensive line up front. They were really bad at protecting the quarterback, and they will Levis turn the football over all the time. Devin Leary is is a I know where Will Levis Will Levis was project, projected in the draft and where he went and all that kind of stuff and, and how good of a prospect or whatever you want to say he is. That's an upgrade at quarterback with Devin Leary. Thirty five touchdowns, seven interceptions. I don't care if it's in the ACC. You do this as a true freshman, like that is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have an upgrade there. You, you bring back your OC from the 2021 season when you had a 10-win year, which was the second time they'd done it in, like, the last five years, right? I think all the signs point to Kentucky being back to, like, eight, nine, ten wins. I don't know if they get ten. I think – I mean, it, I don't think their they're out-of-conference schedule is that difficult. I know they get, like, Louisville. Uh, <laughs> But if they, I mean, Louisville might be. It's it's know. the same as damn Georgia. It, it's the same schedule as Georgia, but no one, right. because it's Kentucky, no one mocks them for it. That's actually a really good point. Um, I'm not going to give you credit for it. I might just tweet that out when you're not looking later. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think that Kentucky is going to be really, they're going to be really improved. And I think, I just, I really think that like, I know what they lost. And it's kind of the reasons I was saying the like last year, like they lost so much, the draft, blah, blah, blah. I know they lost Rodriguez. I know they lost Will Levis. I think they're going to improve, man. I, I don't see how they don't. Right. And one guy you didn't mention, but I know you know he's there, Ray Davis, the running back for Vanderbilt. Uh, he's averaged over uh, 4.6 yards per carry in his college right. career, and that was at Temple and Vanderbilt, which was probably the worst SEC team in history, just, just given the COVID and, and the yeah. coaching church. So very, very impressive running back. Let me ask you about Florida, though, because mm-hmm. I'm down on Florida. A lot of people are, and uh, I've already made the jokes. I mean, they're killing it in recruiting. And yeah. I've said, well, Billy Napier's just loading the roster for the next coach. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't improve, I, I'm kidding when I say that, but we could very easily sit here and say, well, hell, Nick Saban lost to ULM his first year. Kirby lost to Vanderbilt, nearly mm-hmm. lost to Nichols. Uh, so we certainly can't write the Billy Napier story yet. we got to give this right. guy time. But I do think this year is critical. If if they suck this year, and then next year eleven Power Five opponents on the schedule, oh, it's like that for the next five years. I mean, I I don't know if you can stick with them if if they're terrible for three years. So that, I, my point is, this year I think is pivotal for them. What what do you see in the Gators this year? First off, the schedule. I put out a video last week, and we said this on the podcast. And I jokingly asked, I was like, who made the schedule? Was it Kirby? Because <laughs> The schedule is out of control. Like in, in like, so Florida is one of four SEC, current SEC teams that has scheduled at least two Power Five opponents in every season for the next five to ten years. Bama, Georgia, South Carolina, the two. Now Georgia, South Carolina, and a little bit of Florida. They they have built in in state rivals that are also Power Five, right? So, but those teams have scheduled very difficult. Um, Georgia, I think, could. Put the fucking excuse my language. Put the Cowboys on the on the schedule, and I don't think they would bat an eye um, <laughs> at this point. But I think when you look at Florida, it is who it didn't do Nap, Napier any favors, right? Like like Dan Mullen wasn't walking into a difficult schedule. And that, and here's another thing: you brought this up too. 
or you brought up the schedule part. We didn't even talk about this. They're going to Utah. It's the first time they're leaving the state in week one or two of a season since 1991. So mm-hmm. all these things they've done as a program forever are now different. The gap between him and Kirby is, is not closing drastically this season. But I will say this if you're a Florida fan. I'm not comparing these two programs, and I am not saying this is what's going to happen for Florida. But what year is the first year Kirby had a significant jump in performance at Georgia and played for a national title. This year two. Year two. We are in year two of Napier, so let's like take a step back. I'm down on them. I really am. I think the recruiting is great long-term, um, and they did it all on the defensive side of the ball, which they really struggled in. But we're a, we're a very, like, what have you done for me lately, prison of the moment type of society in general, especially with, with our jobs. Um, if he goes six and six or has a third straight losing season at six and seven – I don't know because it doesn't get any easier. You might need to make the jump now, but like you know, I, I don't. I don't know what that looks like. But I, I don't. I don't see a lot of guaranteed wins on that schedule. And it, what scares me for them is this: you got to play Kentucky, Tennessee, and Utah in the first month. How do you keep? What does that look like from like a transfer portal situation and a roster situation and like keeping the team together if you're like one and three in September? Right. Well, I, I also think the problem for Napier is. Florida fans expect to beat Tennessee, as they should. They've owned Tennessee. But I'm not ready to say Tennessee is some dominant program. They they were dominant yeah. last year. Can they continue that for another year? We'll see. But So you get that at home. That's one the fans are going to be pissed if you lose it. And yeah. then I believe it's two weeks later they go to Kentucky. I know Kentucky has owned Florida lately, but mm-hmm. that is another one where I don't think there's a Florida fan, not a single one, that accepts yeah. losing to Kentucky, which this may be – Mark Stoops' best Kentucky team on the road. But, again, it's just it's just the way it is. And your point to the scheduling, I think they were smart because they knew the playoff was going to expand, so they started beefing up this non-conference. Right. And their their anticipation was, well, well if we go 10-2, 11-1 with this crazy schedule, we're going to be getting in this expanded playoff. They just didn't foresee a, a downturn coming. And, cool. it, and it, it's just it's hurting the, co- the coach right now. Here's the other thing about that. And I've, I've been – Debbie Downer about this for a while because I, I I don't I don't think a lot of SEC fans get it and the nature of SEC fans is arrogance right it's one of the one of the first characteristics of of most SEC fans it's one of the reasons why Texas and Oklahoma make so much sense in joining the conference because it, like for real it's like think what other fan bases are like that arrogant and like dismissive of other teams I mean Texas. They they leak the schedule before anybody else not even <laughs> the conference yet. Like they're the worst. Um, it's crazy to me. But I mean, so I think that all SEC fans just assume. Well, if you get, if you get two losses, you're definitely going to get in because yeah. the SEC has been so dominant. We don't know any of that. We don't we don't even know what the resume criteria is going to be from the playoff committee. They haven't released it yet. They haven't told any of the conferences. It's one of the reasons why they kept holding off on the nine game schedule. I know you were really pissed about that. I don't know what the I don't know why we're all just assuming. I get it from a fan standpoint, and it's great to watch these games. But if you're a program trying to win national championships and get to the playoff every single year, the the assumption that we're making that every team that has two losses is just going to automatically get into the playoff is wrong. It's just wrong. Like it, it, we don't know any of that. Okay, so like I just think that that when you look at nine game conference schedules, you're going to cannibalize yourself even more. And if you're the SEC, man. Like, like 
Florida, Georgia, and Bama started making these schedules with the two Power Five teams every single year. They started making these in 2019. The the official the, the 2025 Bama schedule was announced on December 1st of 2019. They were going to play Wisconsin and Florida State in the same season in 2025. Well before we all found out about Texas and OU. It was a year and a half before. We didn't find that out until 2021. Right. So you make all these schedules in advance, and you can say, oh, it's just contracts. We'll get out of it. We know none of that. Everything that we're responding to is just this assumption that everything's just going to work out great. And if you're a fan of like reality, which not a lot of fans are, and I'm not either, but like we don't know any of that to be true yet. I just it, I don't like it. I like winning. Like I like winning. I like I fuck it, give me two FCS teams. I don't care. All right. Well, I guess you know there's there's pluses and minuses to both, but it really boils down to I think it's two camps, Chris. It's do we care about the playoff more than anything or do we care more about the regular season, which right. in my mind makes college football special. It and does. I re- I realize more and more people, they just care about the playoff. They want to, here's my four. Then right. we're, we're going to be doing, here's my 12. I mean, I don't do any of that garbage because I don't care. Right. I care about Saturdays in the fall yeah, man. and 90, 95% of the games, Chris have no playoff impact, but I still love every single one of them. Right. So, that's kind of why I'm in the nine camp, but I again, there's there's no there's no losing here. It's still going to be fun. But uh, let me ask you this, Chris: Who wins the SEC first, Texas or Texas A and M? Oh, that's good. That's good. I'll say Texas A and M because I think that A and M this year. I'm not going to say that I, that they're going to do this because Georgia is so good right now. But this is the easiest shot A and M is going to get, man. They oh, don't yeah. have to play Texas until next they're, year. They're you beating don't. Alabama. That's a given. Yeah, you don't. Well, they don't get Bama in 2024. No, no, no. This this year. Oh, this year. Yeah, but I'm saying 2024. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Oh, wait, so they do get Texas. Then. So I've I've messed up. Never mind. Um, I'll still say A and M because I think that I don't know. I, I just I have a hard time. You saw Texas's schedule when it came out too. I don't know what all those are going to look like. Um, Texas has Michigan on their schedule in 2024. A and M has got a couple of like tough non-conference opponents but right right now i'll say a and m because i think they have an easier road does bobby petrino make it the full season as uh, a&m's offensive coordinator <laughs> that's fun um i don't know man he, yeah like here, let me ask you a question who who gets like you remember that, you remember, you've seen stepbrothers right oh yeah you were the you were like the song that was playing it's like the most depressing song i've ever heard in my life when they're like when they're about to split up at Christmas and the song is playing, it's like, who gets the family Bible? When mom, it's like, it, it cracks me up. Cause it's whoever wrote that song checking on them. Wellness check big time. But like, I, I just kind of think that Mike, I've lost my entire train of thought. Cause I started thinking about stepbrothers. My ADD kicked in. Hold on. Well, let me ask you this. If they don't win eight games this year, Oh, do you fire everybody? I mean, they have a roster, Chris. They should be winning 10 games. This is garbage. Let's stop with, well, seven wins. That'd be an improvement. Eight and four. That'd be it. They they're a favorite in 10 games probably next year. Well, yeah. And and they have the roster. I I do like the quarterback situation. I think everyone's asked the entire offseason. I'm I'm sure the same with you. What's it? What? You know, that offense has got to be improved. Sure. But the, the word improved is such a low bar. Like for especially for that team, they were like 94th in the country in scoring offense last year. Like right. they were awful. Again, I don't know how they beat LSU by 15. Like one of the reasons I'm not completely sold on LSU this year because I think a lot of us forget that. But here's the thing: 
A whatever happens to AM, their fans are lovely and they are loyal and all the things. But this is the best example of a program hitching their wagon to you you got just you got what's the best way to put it? you got fleeced by Jimbo Fisher. It's the best way mm-hmm. to put it. Because that man beat Alabama by three points on a last second field goal, which I know you're familiar with. He beat him by three points on the last second field goal at home. And then Goes the rest of the season, they finish eight and four, gets out of his bowl game because of injuries and COVID or what whatever, has the number one recruiting class. If you don't think that I remember getting a text from a person from SEC Network telling me about the bowl game situation and telling me what was going on behind the scenes. He goes, This is the biggest crock of shit I have ever heard. I'm not gonna tell you who said it, obviously, but he but it was Peter like, Burns, oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> What'd you say? Peter Burns, I could tell by the language you used. But like, but the whole thing was, it was, it was so ridiculous. And you knew what Jimbo was doing. Cause it's like, listen, I've got all this momentum. You know, I've had a very mediocre season. Now I'm going to go sign the number one recruiting class and I'm going to keep that momentum going into next year. And then you, you kind of like you fleece them, not only into signing the Dan Ugla contract, the worst contract ever of guaranteed money. Like he's a professional baseball player, 10 years, 75 million. You got an extension because you beat a, I know they went to the Natty, but you've said it before too. Not the best national, not the best Alabama team. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the entire thing has been such a system. But it's like it, it, it's like a like an economic bubble of some sort. It's like we're just everything's built on a lie at AM. Everything, everything seems like it's just built on a lie. And if they don't win ten games, if they want to fire them, it's gonna it's gonna cost you seventy six million dollars to do it after January first, right? That's so well, much money. And they're so locked in with him. It's it, Anyone that criticizes him, it seems like they're the enemy. They're the problem. Always. When I'm sitting here, all I'm saying is hire a qualified coach with that roster. You are an immediate SEC yep. and playoff contender. And I'm just calling it like I see it. So well, Mike, you, real, real you real get quick, mad at me all you want. Texas. We think about Texas all the time about how like, oh, that roster, they have so much. And you're recruiting the state of Texas, which is like you walk out in the backyard and there's a four-star everywhere with like, a can of skull in his back pocket. Like, what are we talking about? And A and M, they they have. There's not a program in that state that they've benefited in the same way Mullen benefited when he got to Florida. That's what should have happened at Texas A&M. Mullen went to three New Year's Six games in his first three seasons because Florida State was down, Miami was down, Kirby. He even beat Kirby once. A and M had every possibility in the world to be the premier program in the state of Texas, and they've done nothing with it. Yeah. Well, their favorite coach is Lane Kiffin, of course, who running his mouth on. Oh, he's man. getting burned by Florida fans right now. What do you make of the Ole Miss? I mean, they're, that's the team, Chris. They're the toughest for me to project every year just yeah. because, I mean, I'm looking at the, the transfer portal. They lost like 30 guys. They added 28. Right. They're they like a legit NFL team that just yeah. goes into the, the trans, uh, free agency every year and, and adds a quarter of their roster. So I just never know what to make of them. And then all these quarterbacks they're adding. I mean, it's right. it's either genius or it's going to blow up in his damn face. And he just signed this mega deal, so he's fine. I mean, he may yeah. be the next Jimbo, but what do you make of uh, Ole Miss? I think you hit the nail on the head, man. Um, it's so hard to predict them more than any other team. More than any other team that's contending, right? Um, it is – it's so – if you're a quarterback, I mean, they just got a kid that – they got a five. I can't even wrap my head around having a 5.34 GPA. I, I said this on our show and I was barely kidding. If you added up my last three GPAs in my last three years of college, I don't know if they would have added up to 5.34. Like 
this is it's 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 absurd the talent they have there. Walker Howard, I think, is like possibly the most physically gifted. I, I'm not high on, on Spencer Sanders. I'm just not. I know he's got yeah. the experience, all that kind of stuff. I don't know what they do at quarterback. I love what they have with Judkins. I love the kid with the fucking Civil War name. What's his name? It's like Ulysses S. Oh, uh, Ulysses, uh, Ulysses Bennett is his name. Fantastic name. Fantastic <laughs> name. Um, I, I think that'll be great. I, I, they still have the tight end too, Trig that came back, right? Like I think they've got they've yep. got talent. I don't ever worry about the quarterback situation there because I said this going into last year. Lane Kiffin in eight of the ten, his eight of his last ten offenses going into last season, so before Jackson Dart. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think Dart reached this. Those quarterbacks either had thirty touchdowns and or three thousand yards passing. Eight of the eight of the ten before that. One of the years they didn't. They had the number one running back in the country. They had like twenty nine touchdowns and and like nineteen hundred yards. So I don't worry about the offense at all. What does the defense look like? You get Pete Golding, which I think a lot of people were mad about. You love him. I think he's so. I just think people shit on him for no reason. Like I don't love him. Yeah. I, there's a lot of reasons I don't love him. I. I I'll tell you what, if you're an offense preparing for Pete Golding, whoever your fastest player is, just put him out next to the boundary because he will put a fucking safety on him for the entire 60 minutes like he did in Knoxville last year. I know Jalen Hyatt loves him. What was that? <laughs> he made him so much money, man. He made him so much money. Um, no, I, I, it's so hard to think with Ole Miss because the schedule's not that difficult. They get Tech, I think, at home this year. They play some power five – or they play a group of five team or someone interesting on the road. They play at Tulane. But – I, you know, they get LSU at home, Bam on the road. I think the the Egg Bowl's on the road. Mm-hmm. I think if you're Kiffin, the biggest game on that schedule is is at Auburn. I think it's the biggest game on that schedule because everything that transpired this offseason, not saying he fleeced anyone like Jimbo did, but man, if you lose to, I think that's the biggest game on the, on both of those teams' schedule. To be honest, because I think it's a, it's it will change the narrative. For either team, if Ole Miss loses that game, so what do you make of uh, Auburn with uh, they got they got Gus Malzahn with baggage down there, Hugh Freeze running the show? So I think the way you just phrase that is my favorite because it's one of the biggest things people don't realize with Hugh Freeze is that everyone always assumes he's like Gus Malzahn with the offensive part, just in general. But it's two very different offenses. I can't tell you how many times people have been like, "Oh, they're gonna they got the running backs down there, and and so and so is gonna be doing this," and I'm like. Bo Wallace is a two-time 3,000-yard passer under Hugh Freeze. I mean, the quarterback situation, I don't think it's got a lot of talent. I don't think Robbie Ashford's the answer. I, maybe Peyton Thorne is. I don't know. Um, but at the same time, what Hugh Freeze has done in year one, if you're an Alabama fan and we're being objective here, if you're saying you're you're not a little bit concerned, you're lying to yourself or you're ignorant. It's one of those two things because what, what Hugh Freeze has done this early at Auburn – is in the same way I said this for South Carolina and Dabo, you have a really good opportunity to change the power of those two programs in the state of Alabama, where Bama has dominated for years and years and years and still struggled against Auburn, right? Like mm-hmm. with Saban being on the edge of what I think is going to be his retirement in the next three years tops, if Hugh Freeze gets them in Jordan Hare this year and, and somehow pulls off a win, it you're playing with house money this year either way with him, right? But the way he's recruited – and the, the way he's recruited the offensive line and the positions that, like, people say that he knows what it takes to win the SEC. He knows how to recruit in the SEC. And that's the thing that I think is, is most important and is what they lacked most at Auburn. I think if you're giving, like, off-season grades, 
you could make the argument that no one in the country and in, in the SEC has done a better job than Hugh Freeze at Auburn. How many days off Twitter do you take when Auburn does win the Iron Bowl this fall? <laughs> 69. No, there's no chance. I mean, I'll just stand in the paint and take it like I always do. I don't know. I mean, I don't – I'm sure I'll – It'll. the question is how many tweets do I fire off before I before I fire off a rational one? Mm-hmm. That's the main thing because I'm going to be there, which is a, a mistake already. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I and I listen, Mike. I, I, we joke around a lot, but I don't think it's out of the question that Auburn can beat Bama in year one, especially because it's being played in Jordan Hare. All right, final question for you, Chris. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, man. After Georgia wins their third straight national championship <laughs> and they go the following season and beat the piss out of Nick Saban in yeah. Alabama, does uh, does Saban pull a Spurrier and quit just in the middle of the year? Goes to coach the Washington Commanders. Um, <laughs> that was before. That was before South Carolina. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't hear you say the middle of the year. Um, That's no. what Spurrier did. He quit right, right he in the did. middle, flat out. Like they got housed by by A and M, and then the, everything went downhill. Um, and you know, honestly, I don't think Bama's got a quarterback as good on that roster as any of those fucking high three star white kids that Carolina had: Connor Shaw, Dylan Thompson, like. <laughs> Those guys were, they were the same person. That was a Spider-Man meme at quarterback that USC was throwing out there. Um, I think that Saban, I, I just, I think that Georgia has a, the best chance of anyone in the country to get to the, to get to the playoff. They play no one, their team. This last year was supposed to be like a built, like a rebuilding gap year. They're loaded everywhere. There's, there's what's crazy about Georgia is there's so many people on that, on that team and that roster that we don't know about. Like, like Nico Williams is going to be like a Will Anderson type, like guy and i don't mean get shut out for sacks against Tennessee because i know where you're going with this but like i do think that he is a guy that's gonna put up like double digit sacks and be a monster um in the sec i just i everyone i've heard this a thousand times and it, and i will say that it's different it is it looks different than it has in the past but every time you count out bama and every time we think that they they haven't made the right adjustment Something always happens. And what that something is usually ends up being like a, a very, very good season. So I think that Bama has a very good chance of playing for and winning a national title this season, even after losing to Texas in week two. That is my prediction for you. I don't even know if I answered your question. But you're, you're absolutely right, Chris. That's happened before. But before, there was no Kirby at Georgia, Heupel at Tennessee, Kelly yep. at LSU, Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Yes, sir. I mean, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Heupel's, Heupel's got more wins over Saban than losses, or uh, same amount. I mean, excuse me. That's okay. That's awesome. Um, the Kelly thing cracks me up because it's like it, Brian Kelly's a great coach. He's a great coach, and, and they they'll improve from year one to year two. I would assume, right? But yep. I think it's there's a lot of tendencies. I think LSU's gonna be really good. And I know that we're gonna disagree on this. But there's a lot of tendencies from that same thing, that same blueprint that I I told you about from A&M. I don't think LSU goes five and seven by any means this year. But there's a lot of things. You're talking out your ass now. Come on now. People forget about LSU won that game by one point on a two-point conversion in the last play. It's their sixth win against Bama in Death Valley since the Eisenhower administration. Okay? They're two and nine against Bama in their last 11 games. They've never put back-to-back wins like that against Alabama. Like They've done it once, I think, under Saban. They've rarely done it in their program's history. So you have to prove it to me like from that standpoint for one. Two, everyone forgets that after you had the entire – you get vaulted up to number five in the country from 14 and have everything in front of you to go to the college football playoff despite having two losses if you're LSU. 
They go immediately to Arkansas, and they, they play a backup quarterback, and they win barely by three points. Then they go to College Station after they won the division with all their starters, and they lose by 15 points to the worst team besides Vandy in the entire conference. But they put up 30 in garbage time against Georgia, and they beat Alabama by one. So everyone just assumes. They ran out of gas. That's all that happened. I mean, sure. they're re- reloading this year, baby. But I'm just all those things I just told you were facts and not opinions. Those are real things that happened on the field that we saw it happen. So oh, okay. Okay. Hey, before you go, plug, uh, you know, where can people find you? Let's get you, what are you up to, 200 followers? Let's get you to 250. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I lost that damn account. Just a little word of advice out there. Don't ever make a Kirby Smart sex tape joke on April Fool's <laughs> if you are trying to make your dreams come true on social media. Anyway, um, Vern Funquist on Twitter and Instagram. Vern, B-E-R-N, Funquist. Um and name obviously is Chris Marler. Uh, and then obviously, like Mike said earlier, the podcast is called Cultural Uncensored. We have new episodes that come out every Tuesday. Um, and yeah, it's pretty much it, man. I, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm like I always say when I'm on here, I'm so happy for all the success you've had. I'm so proud of you, man. Killing it. Hope you keep it up. Absolutely. Hope to see you. Well, I know I'll see you here soon in Nashville, SEC yeah, Media Days. Thank you so much for showing up. And thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, dude. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.